Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So today we're going to talk about kennel cough. Um, the reason why is because I feel like this is something that can be used in, you know, in ER, in reception, in our kennels, our daycare staff. I mean, really like anybody could use this information. So I thought this would be a really good one, especially because we have um, spring break that's going to be coming up in the next few weeks. And it's going to be easier to talk to people about why their dog got kennel cough while they were in our kennels boarding, or why they might have gotten kennel cough when they were, you know, in the daycare center, and why it may not be as big of an emergency as the owners think that it is. All right, so let's talk about just like kennel cough in general first. So kennel cough, that's just kind of the term that we use for it, um, but there's actually lots of other different like more medical terms that we use. Usually they're going to call it like infectious bronchitis. Um, usually that just means that there's an infection that's affecting the bronchi of their lungs. So it goes from like your trachea, which is your windpipe, down to these big tubes that are called the bronchi that go in your lungs. And then it goes breaks down into a lot of little other ones called bronchioles. And really it just is kind of telling you that it's affecting um one of the big pathways in their lungs. The other name for it is going to be tracheobronchitis, meaning it's going to affect the trachea or the windpipe, essentially. And it's also going to affect your bronchi, so that f- those first big parts that go into your lungs. And then the third name that people you'll hear people call it is called canine infectious respiratory complex. So that essentially means that it's something infectious that's in the respiratory system. And it's a respiratory complex because you'll find out here in a minute, there are lots of different things that cause it. It's not just one thing. When people think about kennel cough, they really just think about it just being one disease. And we'll talk about why that's not true. So what is kennel cough exactly? Kennel cough is actually a very contagious illness that affects the respiratory system of the dog. Now, when I say respiratory system, I mean that it affects more than just the dog coughing. We call it kennel cough, but there are many parts of the respiratory system that are going to be affected. And like I was saying, there are multiple different types of things that cause this kennel cough. The two big things that cause it are going to be some sort of bacteria or a virus. So the most common bacteria that are involved are going to be Bordetella bronchioseptica. That's the one that we we do our vaccines for, you know, the Bordetella vaccine. That's, that is actually the most common bacteria that is seen in there. Another common bacteria is something called mycoplasma. And then a third one is called Streptococcus equi subspecies zoo epidem- epidemicus. Okay. So now on your chest, everybody has to repeat back to me what I just said. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's actually this weird bacteria that's present in equi, which is equines, horses, uh, but it can be spread to other places and actually it was spread to dogs as well. It's just a weird bacteria that they can potentially get. And then as far as viruses go, um, the most common viruses are the canine parrot influenza virus. Now, if you remember us talking from before, that is one of the viruses that we give vaccines for. We do the DAPP, that's our distemper, adenovirus, Parainfluenza and parvo. The second one is canine adenovirus. That's the second one we just talked about. Remember in DAPP, that vaccine. So distemper, adenovirus, parainfluenza, parvo. 
The third most common one is actually canine influenza. There are different subtypes to them. Um, there are actually, actually like lots of different types that they can get affected with, but the most common ones are going to affect their respiratory system. Um, if you guys remember, like, you know, uh, when we had like the swine influenza and stuff. So there are different types of subtypes. So for the dogs, it's H3N2 and H3N8. The Next common virus is the canine respiratory coronavirus. This is interesting because this is actually a coronavirus. We actually think about it actually causing like GI symptoms. So causing vomiting and diarrhea most of the time. But they actually have another virus that causes respiratory issues as well, just like it does with us, right? There's the herpes virus and the distemper virus. Distemper virus, I might go into on a different one because it has a lot of other things that are included in the distemper virus, but it does start out as looking like just like an upper respiratory tract infection or kennel cough. How is this spread? So the way that kennel cough is usually spread is through like usually close contact or some sort of uh, direct contact with an object. So the most common ways are like between housemates. They're like licking each other, nuzzling each other. They're essentially breathing in um, that other dog, whoever has kennel cough. They're coughing or they're sneezing. There's little droplets, like think about just like spraying little droplets. And lots of viruses and bacteria are in that droplet on whatever it is landing on. So if it's landing on the other dog's nose, if it's landing on a toy that they they play with, it's through that droplet that that it's getting spread. So those other things that can be spread on, those objects are usually going to be, like I said, toys, bedding, um, even people's hands. So that's why it's really important to like wash your hands between seeing each pet, even when you're over in kennels, like washing your hands each time or using gloves and changing the gloves every time because that way you're not spreading these things from one dog to another. Uh, it can be on your clothing as well. So if you go into like when you have isolation for kennel cough dogs, wearing some sort of isolation gowns. That way, again, you're not just bringing it back to our other pets who are in boarding. And then it can even be on things like water bowls and food bowls. You know, if you have two pets sharing the same water bowls at home, those droplets of, you know, snot droplets and and droplets from coughing will be on those water bowls and those food bowls as well. Now, who are the ones who are probably going to be more affected by the spread of this? Usually the risks are going to be higher in dogs who have had close contact with other dogs who are infected. Um, the hard part about these this kennel cough is that the incubation period is about 2 to 10 days. What that means is that dog could be affected with kennel cough. You have dog-to-dog contact. You know, they're at, at um, daycare. They're like sniffing each other, they're playing, right? And you have no idea that that dog is sick until a couple of days later, let's say two, five, ten days later, suddenly that dog is coughing. Well, it already infected everybody else who it had come into contact with in that two to seven days, or sorry, two to ten days prior to when it started showing symptoms of coughing. So That's the hardest part about the spread of kennel cough is that it can spread very easily from dog to dog because you're bringing your dog into the daycare or into boarding or into the hospital and it's coughing all over everything later. But 
in the beginning, you have no idea because at the beginning, you just, you don't see any of that. You don't see coughing. You don't see any signs of illness, but they're still spreading all of those germs. That's essentially like us, you know, like you have a sniffle. A lot of people who have allergies are like blowing your nose, throwing the the tissue in the trash can. But do you automatically wash your hands right afterwards? Usually not, right? So a lot of times you blow your nose, walk over, put your hand on the doorknob, and now you've just transferred all of those germs from you blowing your nose, which is contained in this tissue, onto the doorknob. And, you know, hopefully that just makes you wash your hands after you blow your nose. But still, like you're you're still able to contaminate other people and you didn't even know it, like you didn't even know you were sick until later on when you realize it's not your allergies. You know, it's very similar for our pets. Let's say our dog goes in, it sneezes one time, you're not going to think anything of that because, you know, dogs sneeze. Like my dog, when my dogs get super excited, every time she gets excited, she just starts sneezing. So you're not going to know that it's truly that they're sick and you can't quarantine everybody just because of a sneeze. And even then, they may not even show a sneeze. They may just have water droplets that come from their nose. And it's just going to have that bacteria or that virus in it. All right, next we're going to talk about who is most susceptible to this. So technically, all breeds, all ages are susceptible to this. No matter how old they are, how young they are, no matter what kind of dog they are, they can potentially get one of these viruses or one of these bacteria that causes kennel cough. But like we said before, the risk is higher when the dogs are in close contact with another, with one another, or with basically a dog that was infected or with a toy or an object that that dog who was infected was playing with. Now, some of the most susceptible patients then are going to be like the ones I said, who have close contact with these patients who are sick for longer periods of time. That typically occurs in places like boarding facilities, in shelters, daycare facilities, grooming facilities, and even dog parks. Another common exposure that people don't think about is also wildlife. So even though dogs and cats, which we'll get to, are the most common species to be able to get kennel cough, there are certain elements of kennel cough that other wildlife can get. So like Bordetella bronchioseptica, that one, that bacteria, which we vaccinate for, has been found in other animals as well. It's been found in, in pigs and rabbits, um, horses, seals. I actually saw that quite a bit in Southern California. And even they found it in um, red squirrels recently as well. Another form of kennel cough we had just talked about was distemper. That's actually found very commonly in our raccoons. I will say, though, that I think that is more common, more in Florida. That's where I saw a lot of it versus here. I don't feel like we see a lot of distemper here and hopefully not a lot in our our raccoons. But I've definitely seen a raccoon that was hiding under our, our um, shed and had just like pouring out green pus from his nose and his eyes. So he definitely could have had distemper, but had some upper respiratory tract infection, right? All right, now what are the signs of kennel cough? So we talked about in the beginning, really not any signs, right? Like you wouldn't know the dog had kennel cough during that incubation period. But after that, like 
the most common sign that you'll hear people say is that they'll usually call in and say that my dog is doing this coughing. It looks like they're gagging or retching or trying to get something up. And most people actually assume that it was whatever treat that they gave them or whatever food that they had had beforehand. Um, But the reason why it sounds like that, it seems like it's something that they're retching or coughing up or they're gagging, they're, they're choking on something, is because of just the way that it sounds. It's a very dry cough and it's almost like a honking cough. Like people will describe it as like a goose honk almost, but it's a very dry cough. Sometimes they will cough up white foam as well. And um, even with like small bits of food, it won't be their whole meal though. This is going to be like tiny little bits. So again, then people kind of, they misunderstand what it is that their dog is doing. They think that they are vomiting because something was produced. Some white foam was produced or some sort of food was produced. But a lot of times they're just hacking, coughing. And one of the questions I'll ask owners sometimes is, do you see their belly move? Like, do you see their whole abdomen like crunch up? You know, like when you vomit, like your like your whole body, your belly convulses it is painful, right? Versus when they're hacking, a lot of times their their body moves, but their abdomen isn't moving. Like their chest is moving pretty hard, but their abdomen is not moving. And especially if they had just eaten and then suddenly just have this white foam and food that's coming up, like little bits of food, then it makes me even more suspicious that it's kennel cough. Because if they just ate and they vomited, all that food should be coming back up, not little pieces of white foam. All right. And then the reason why they're usually coughing after getting a treat or food is because the coughing generally worsens with some sort of activity or exercise or excitement. And so they usually get excited about their food or excited about their treat or excited about their owners coming home and their coughing gets worse. Um, Some of the other clinical signs you can't see are going to be sneezing and a runny nose or runny eyes like I was talking about with that raccoon. And most of the time, they'll be like greenish, yellowish discharge, but it can still even be just like clear discharge from those things as well. All right, so they called in, you know, they said that their dog is having this hacking cough, sounds like they're choking. So when do we tell them to come in? This is, this is kind of a gray area because you don't know, is that dog actually choking? I mean, I'm going to tell you most of the time, no, most of the time that dog is not choking and 99% of the time, it's just because they have kennel cough. But we do want to make sure that they aren't choking. You know, if they're coughing and then they're running around barking, then they're not choking. Choking is like they cannot breathe, they pass out type thing. So a lot of times it's just like you can kind of ask them like, is the dog hacking and then running around and being normal? Or did it drink and then it's, and then it's normal again? If those things are happening, then it's not choking. Like choking is literally, it's dying in your arms right now. So if somebody calls, you know, just having that, like asking that question, how they're doing, do they seem like they're conscious? You know, do they fall over? If those are the, the answer, then yes, they need to bring them in right away. But do they always have to come in if they say that they're just coughing and it seemed like they were choking, but they're fine? Maybe not. I mean, this is really hard, like I say, because there can be lots of other things that this could potentially be. Um, Some of our other things we worry about are going to sound kind of like a coughing or hacking as well. But if they're like, hey, 
I can't afford this office visit. You know, you can talk to them about like, it doesn't always necessarily have to be seen when they have kennel cough. And here are the reasons why. So, you know, asking when they come in, a lot of times what we need to know is some sort of history about them. That's kind of how we try to figure out whether this is kennel cough or not. So when they call in and they're like, you know, my dog is doing this hacking cough, like it's trying to get something out. You talk to them about, well, was it exposed to other dogs? Like, does it go to dog parks? Does it go to grooming? Does it go to kennels? Does it go to boarding? Was there any exposure to those things that makes it a high risk for having kennel cough? And if so, then yeah, then it may potentially be just kennel cough. The hardest part for us was when we're talking to them is we have to figure out, did they have that exposure to other animals? You know, some, some people I've asked, like, is there, have your dogs been exposed to any new animals before? And I'm going to tell you the most common thing that they tell me is no. And then when I ask them about what they've done for the last week, they're like, well, we went to the vet's office. Well, that's, that's exposure to new dogs. You got to remember sick dogs walk in there as well as well dogs. It's the same as when they go to the boarding facilities. You know, they're well when they walk in there, even though they already potentially had that kennel cough. And then suddenly by day three or four, now they're coughing. They were well when they walked in there, but they were already exposing all those pets that were in the boarding facility. And then when we start asking these questions and trying to figure out whether this is kennel cough or not kennel cough, you know, some of the other things that we're checking for are going to be, are there other signs of them having a heart problem? So we're listening to their heart to check to see if they have a heart murmur. Sometimes we'll talk to them about ruling out some of those other illnesses. So we'll rule like taking x-rays called radiographs to rule out things like pneumonia, which is an infection of the lungs themselves, not of those bronchi, not of those little tubes leading into the lungs, but of the lungs themselves. Is this a heart problem? Sometimes they'll cough because their heart is so big, it's actually pushing on that windpipe or the trachea, making them feel like they need to cough. Or there could be masses in the chest. So there could be these large masses that I've definitely seen dogs cough from. It's a dry hacking cough. And they'll cough because there's this big mass that's occupying their lungs. They like they basically just can't get enough breath in and it pushes on their trachea every time they breathe in. And it could be collapsing trachea. Super common thing in our small breed dogs, right? Then we've done a collapsing trachea episode before, which you can go back and listen to. But collapsing trachea too can cause them to have this dry, honking, goose-like cough. The really only way that we can diagnose kennel cough for sure is to do um, testing that we send out to the lab. Basically, like we can collect swabs from the nose and the throat um, and around the eyes that'll confirm if there's an infection of bacteria or the virus. Now, are we going to do anything different if it is kennel cough? If we do like find down here that it ends up being kennel cough? Probably not. We're probably not going to do anything different. We're just going to see that it's kennel cough and be like, okay, great. Well, we've already treated for it or the dog's hopefully already getting better. You know, there's really not a ton else that we're going to do. But some people do want that confirmation. Like they want to know that, yes, for sure, this is kennel cough. So one is doing those other diagnostics like the x-rays to make sure there's not something else that's causing the cough. And then two is doing that testing to see if this is potentially one of those viruses or bacteria that causes kennel cough. And then how do we treat kennel cough? So most people, when they bring them in, here's the hard part is 
there's not really a lot that we're going to do. With kennel cough, sometimes it's a bacterial infection, but most of the time it's going to be a viral infection. And most of the time it's going to go away on its own. So they've shown studies that have shown, you know, that you could do antibiotics and you can do antivirals and all these other things. And really it didn't make the, the illness go away any faster. So do we need to use antibiotics for them? No, usually not. We don't need to use antibiotics unless it becomes pneumonia. Then sure, we need to start using antibiotics at that point. You can use something called antitussives. Antitussives are basically a cough suppressant. I typically don't use them. Like I'll usually tell people if you can't sleep at night, then sure, I'll go ahead and give it to the pet. Or if the pet can't sleep at night, then let's go ahead and give it to the pet. But remember when I told you that they cough the most is after activity and excitement. And when you're sleeping, they're not doing a lot of coughing at that point. So for me, I don't feel like antitussives are necessarily, but there are definitely other people who do feel that they're necessary to keep the pet comfortable and to keep the, the owner comfortable as well. And that's fine. You know, that's, it's not going to hurt them to give it to them. Some of those antitussives, they're called hydrocodone, butorphanol, or TORB is the other name for it, which is also a pain medication, and then codeine as well. And then there's also been like a lot of back and forth on whether people should use anti-inflammatories or steroids for um, kennel cough. Now, steroids do good things and bad things. Steroids will decrease inflammation of anywhere in the body. But it also does a lot of bad things too. Like if you are on it for a long period of time, it can do things like hurt the liver or it can, the short term things are going to be that it increases their drinking, it increases their urination, and it increases their hunger as well. Same thing with anti-inflammatories, like anti-inflammatories do good things and bad things. Our good things is it brings down inflammation from pretty much anywhere in the body, but it also can have bad effects on things like your kidneys. If you if your kidneys aren't working very well, or it can make your stomach be really upset. So there's done lots of studies on these as well to see if we used an anti-inflammatory or we used steroids, which is what we used to do a long time ago, if it would help. And really they have not shown any benefit to them at all. Their risks outweigh the benefits. So there's really no reason to use either one of those. You will see us though, sometimes use serenia, which is also called meropotent because it can help decrease inflammation of the um, trachea and of all the bronchi. And that will sometimes help with like the coughing as well. It's not suppressing the coughing necessarily, and it's not hurting the other systems of the body. Like it's not going to cause a stomach ache because it helps stop vomiting. It's not going to cause um, them to drink water excessively or to eat more. So it has a lot of benefits that it does that are not going to hurt the pet. So sometimes you will see us use those as well. How long does it take for the pet to recover? So typically it's about seven to 10 days. Like I said, most pets recover without any medication at all. So it is something that they can definitely just watch them at home and see if they do recover. Now, the next part is like talking about when to bring the pet in. Like when is it actually like, yes, you need to have your pet seen for sure. So some of those things are going to be when the pet becomes really lethargic or they don't really eat very much, like their appetite is starting to decrease. If they have a fever, 
or they're coughing up yellow or green fluid. Because remember I said before, they're going to cough up white fluid or white foamy fluid, not yellow or green. If they're having difficulty breathing, they're just like breathing really rapidly or they feel like they just can't catch their breath or they just can't like lay down. Those are all definitely reasons to come back in. And because a lot of these signs we're worried about either pneumonia or a heart problem. So if we start seeing, you know, like let's say they said, well, my dog was boarded 10 days ago, it was coughing, and then suddenly it's coughing still, but now it is not eating. To me, that is very concerning that the pet is that the pet potentially has pneumonia. So they need to be brought in if that's the case. All right, I'm gonna go over some of those the key points really quickly, and then I'm gonna talk about some commonly asked questions. So we talked about, you know, what is kennel cough? Kettle cough is something that's highly contagious that affects the respiratory system of usually dogs. It's spread through some sort of direct contact with either another dog who's infected or some sort of object, our clothes, our hands, something else that's going to have those droplets from their sneezing and their coughing on it. Everybody is susceptible to this. It's no breed or no age is not susceptible, everybody can potentially get kennel cough, especially when they're in areas where they're around a lot of other dogs. So like our boarding facilities, shelters, daycares, and grooming facilities. And then the most common clinical signs are that we'll hear like a honking or a dry cough, gagging, retching, something like that. Typically they'll vomit up or cough up essentially white foam with sometimes some small amounts of food, but usually it's not like their whole dinner or anything. And it worsens after activity. So if they're laying down and they're coughing, that's a little bit more worrisome for something different than if they got up, got excited because the door rang, the doorbell rang, and now they're coughing. There's no true diagnostic that we do typically for diagnosing them. A lot of times it's just going off of their history and making sure that there's not something else that could be causing this. And one big thing to note is that when you have a dog that you're suspecting of kennel cough, keep them in the car. Or if we are back in our rooms, keep them in a very specific room that's only for kennel cough dogs. We don't want it to spread throughout the rest of the hospital. So we want to try to contain them as much as possible. So if they call into reception and they're like, hey, I have this dog who has kennel, who you know, is coughing, doing this dry hacking cough, um, if you start asking them, well, have they been exposed to any new dogs recently? And they're like, yeah, they go to grooming every day, or, or sorry, they go to daycare every day. Then have them keep their their dog in the car. Definitely have somebody go triage and make sure that they look okay, but keep the dog in the car so that, that way we keep them contained and tell them, don't let them out. Like don't have them walking around outside. So that way we can make sure we can contain this and we're not going to cause them to spread kennel cough to other pets who are just like, if they go and cough on a rock, then the pet who's healthy goes and coughs on, you know, goes and inhales that cough from the rock. And then we now get the next pet sick as well. So tell them to contain their pet in their car until we can move them into a room and then go directly into the room from there. You know, the only way that we can truly diagnose this is by sending out a sample to the lab. It does usually take a long period of time to get back. Like usually it's within a week, two weeks even sometimes. And by then we've already either treated it or it's usually gone away. So how do we treat it? Sometimes antibiotics, if we do think that this is potentially that something 
is turning into pneumonia, but most of the time we don't use antibiotics. Antitussive, so something that helps stop the coughing sometimes. And then watching for any signs that are signs that the kettle cough is worsening to potentially things like pneumonia. So they become really lethargic. Um, they're not eating as much. They have green fluid coming from their nose or their eyes and difficulty breathing. So all those clinical signs, they need to come in right away. All right, let's talk about some of the common questions that I get from people. So one person, like, people have asked me, like, can cats get this? And technically, yes, they can get it. Um, most of the time, it's going to be the dogs that get this. But some of the ones that can cause problems in cats are going to be Bordetella, that Bordetella bronchiseptica, the Streptococcus equi subspecies zoo epidemicus. You should be able to say this by the end of this podcast. And then the next one is canine influenza. Those are the ones that cats can potentially get. Do they get them? Just not as often, nor do we usually test them very often to know because we just kind of assume that they have some sort of upper respiratory tract infection, which we'll do cat upper respiratory tract infections later. And then the next question I usually get is, can humans become infected? So the answer to this is usually not. It is pretty rare when they do get infected. The only organism that can affect humans is Bordetella bronchoseptica. And it's usually only the patients or humans that are very immunocompromised. I mean, usually our cancer patients are on chemo, like those kind of things can get this coughing, upper respiratory tract infection. From what I've been told and researched, it doesn't quite sound the way that we do that dry hacking type cough. Like it's still a cough, but it doesn't quite sound the same. And then the next question is, how do I prevent it? So the best way to prevent kennel cough is vaccinating. We've already talked about there are several vaccines that we use. So like the Bordetella vaccine is usually something that's intranasal, so in the nose or intraoral in the mouth. That is a vaccine that helps protect us against it. Well, the big thing is though, remembering that vaccines are not 100%. It decreases the chances of the dog getting the illness but it also decreases the chances of the dog getting really sick. So like when you think about things like for us, the flu virus, you know, you get the flu injection or the flu virus vaccine. And after that, like you still potentially can get sick. It's just that you're not going to be that sick as if you didn't get the flu vaccine. So still the chance of getting it, just not as bad. We also talked about parainfluenza virus and adenovirus two that, again, we vaccinate for pretty pretty routinely. Influenza is one that they do have vaccines out for, and really it's for like our higher-risk patients, like ones that go to um, like the dog shows and stuff will potentially get those vaccines. It's just not a common one that they use, at least not by themselves. They do have Bordetella that have influenza in them as well. And I'm sorry, I cannot remember off the top of my head whether we have that or not since um, I don't do a lot of vaccines, but influenza is another big one. And then the best thing that they can do is to isolate their pet. So usually I tell people that, you know, they can be contagious for up to 10 days without showing any signs, and then they recover in about seven to 10 days after showing signs. 
So I usually tell people to wait two weeks before taking them out to places that do have other dogs. So take them out for a walk on the streets, taking them to dog parks and grooming and all those other things, because we want to try to limit the virus as much as possible so we don't pass it around from one pet to another. And even though that pet looks healthy, you know, it can still be passing it from one dog to the next dog. Right, the next common question I usually get is, People say, well, I vaccinated my dog for kennel cough. There's no way that he could still get it. Well, we just talked about some of the things that, yes, we do vaccinate for like Bordetella. We vaccinate for adenovirus and for parainfluenza and distemper. But we don't vaccinate for things like mycoplasma or for streptococcus equi, right? Like those are not things we typically vaccinate for. So it could be that it's one of those and they're not really protected from those, right? Or it could be that it was Bordetella and the dog did get vaccinated for it, but they're not going to get as bad of a disease. Like they're not going to go into getting pneumonia, whereas the dog who didn't get vaccinated for Bordetella does. And the next common question I get is they're like, well, even though my dog is vaccinated, you know, I sent him to this kennel and obviously he got kennel cough afterwards. So this must be like a disgusting, dirty kennel. That's definitely not true. So most of the dogs who get sick were there before they actually start, started showing symptoms, right? We talked about how the incubation period tended two to 10 days. Now, if they started getting sick beforehand and we didn't know, they go to, to kennels and then they start coughing two or three days later. There's no way that we knew that the dog was sick. They still get taken out of the kennels into an isolation area, but then... They've already infected everybody else because you know, for that three-day time period, they were already playing with toys that the other dogs were playing with. They were already drinking out of some of the same water bowls. Uh, they were already being touched from from the kennel attendant, and then go that kennel attendant goes to the next set of kennels, and then you know we have that exposure that way. Like there's tons of ways that they can get affected, or even just like jumping and like putting their paws up so that that way they can like see the other dogs, kennels, and then coughing into that kennel. You know, there's tons of ways that they could potentially get infected. It's not because of that kennel facility having dirty kennels or being really bad with their who they're letting in or anything. Like, they, there's just no way to know that they were already sick, unfortunately, before they start spreading this. All right, and then the last thing that I usually have people ask is like, well, what remedies can I do at home to help relieve this cough? So there's a couple things. One is I love steam therapy. So if somebody has a humidifier, you can put a humidifier in a small room and it just humidifies the air, which helps them just kind of like break up all of that stuff that's in their trachea or the windpipe and then break up all the stuff that's in their bronchi or that first little little tunnel that goes into their lungs. They can break all that stuff up and start to like cough it out. We want them to cough it out. That's another reason why I don't like Kind of, uh, cough suppressants because I want them to cough all that stuff out. But I do get that for people, it's really scary for them to hear that. They do worry that they're choking. They're not getting enough rest. So again, like I do see both sides of that. It's just not, not what I do. That's just my opinion. And then another thing that people can do is if they don't have a humidifier is anytime they go into the bathroom to take a shower, anybody in the, the household goes to take a shower, bring the dog or cat in with them 
into the bathroom, close the door, close the windows, don't try any fans, and let all that steam build up. So that, that way, again, it just kind of helps break down all of that mucus and junk that's in their, their trachea and in their bronchi. Um, I will say, though, the one, one breeds that I do not uh, advise them doing this with is any sort of brachycephalic dog. So anything with a flat face. So no Bulldogs, no Frenchies, no Bostons. Um, if any of those have any of those like really small faces, you don't want them to do that because they'll actually overheat really easily. And that's not good. They actually go into what's called brachycephalic syndrome, which again, we'll do on another podcast, but it makes it to where they cannot breathe. Like their throat swells and they cannot breathe. So every other, other breed is fine as long as they are not a flat face breed. You can do that with. Something else that people can use is honey. So just a small amount, like a teaspoon is enough. People use this for, for kids. I might use it for my kids all the time. And it does actually have some anti-tussive properties, so things to help with that cough. And it also has other things that are really cool, like antibacterial properties and sorry, antifungal properties. It's just, honey is just cool. But uh, that is one thing it does, is it tries to help soothe the throat. And then the last thing I tell people is to make sure to use a harness with their dog. Don't put a leash on them on the rump, like around their collar, because it's just going to pull on their trachea or the windpipe, and it's going to cause them to cough more. And our goal is to try to help cause less coughing, right? So just trying to keep them as calm as possible as well. Like if they know that they're going to have guests over, put the dog into another room so that that way they just can't get excited jump all over the people, cough all over them, they go home, and then now they bring the cough to their dogs as well. All right. Hopefully that wasn't too much information. Um, I just, like I said, I just feel like kennel cough is a really big deal. So I'm going to tell you some cool facts about chameleons because I love chameleons. They're amazing. And I was doing this for my Vetsplanation podcast, so I think it's just really cool. And then I'll tell you a story real quick. So chameleons... Their tongue is just crazy. Like that's specifically what we're going to talk about is their tongue because their tongue is nuts. So their tongue is so fast, it is faster than the fastest racing car. So there's this little tiny chameleon. They're called a rosette-nosed pygmy chameleon. They're the smallest chameleon in the world. They can launch their tongue so fast at its prey that it launches at 8,500 feet per second or for those of us who use you know, miles per hour, that is 5,795 miles per hour. Like, can you imagine if your car went that fast? That's just insane. And then the other thing, the other way you can look at it is they can basically go from like zero to 60 in one one hundredth of a second. So that's like 0 0.01 seconds. Now for the fastest car, it can go from 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds. That's an insane number. For like the acceleration of this, so speed and acceleration are different, and I won't get into that because that's just a whole other thing that has nothing to do with, with veterinary world. But the acceleration of their, their tongue, you can think of this as like how quickly an airplane can go to... Um, like they'll talk about like 4Gs and 5Gs, right? So like how quickly can their tongue accelerate? So for chameleons, their tongue can accelerate up to 264 times 
the force of G, which is 264 Gs, basically. Now, in relation to other things, a space shuttle accelerates at 3 Gs, and the fastest jet fighter in the world can accelerate at 7 Gs when they pull out of a dive. It's like, it's like, it's like, you know, over a hundred times as fast as that. that. That's just insane. And then also the length of their tongue. So their length of their tongue can actually shoot out of their tongue. And when it does, it is about two and a half times the length of their body. And the other craziest thing about this is, you know, these are crazy fast numbers. These aren't even the fastest animals. So there are, is an insect called a jumping leafhopper that can reach its tongue out to be 2,000, sorry, 23,100 feet per second. Now, when I talked about the chameleons, that was 8,100 feet per second. A jumping leaf, leafhopper can, can reach it, can reach, you know, when it, when it jumps, it can reach 23,100 feet per second. That's just, that's like three times as fast as that chameleon's tongue. And then the other one is a, I'm going to botch this name, a plethora, plethodontid salamander can flick its tongue at 14,700 feet per second. Again, that's like almost twice as fast as this chameleon. That's just insane. Like, how, how do they get to be that fast? But chameleons are really slow, so they, their tongue like has to be that fast. If anybody's ever watched a chameleon, they're just the coolest animals. But they sit on a on um, their branch, and in order to like not be detected, they don't want to go fast because they want to look like a leaf, right? So they actually like sway back and forth before they even like put a hand out to move. Versus my leopard gecko, like she is very fast, like she runs very quickly. She is kind of like she does look like sand basically. So I think it's a little bit easier because on the ground, that doesn't really matter if you look like sand to a bird of prey. That's not gonna you know, they're, they're not going to notice you. You're just like a sand that's like whooshing by on the wind versus a chameleon. Like if, if their prey or their predators are seeing them in the trees and they, they see something zip by quickly, they're more likely to grab it because they're like closer to that eye level. And when they just go slowly and walk, like rock back and forth, they look more like a leaf. Super cool. Anyways, I'll tell you my story real quick. So this happened today. My wife was actually taking our new dog, Hala. So if anybody hasn't listened to the other one, we got a new little dog because my wife has always wanted a little dog. And um, yep, so now we have a little dog and who's actually in the room with me right now. But she, we always take her with us to go to pick up the, the kids. And so my wife took her with her to go pick up the kids. So she put her in the car and then she went to go shut the door and heard her scream and then I heard my wife scream and I was on the other side of the property so I go to call her and I'm like are you, are you okay and she was like I just thought Hala's jaw dropped out of her face I was like what how how did you even come to that conclusion she said she had shut the door she heard her scream and then suddenly like something white fell off of her mouth and she's a white dog and so she thought that her whole jaw dropped off because she also has like dental issues and she, she had to have a, all of like almost a lot of her teeth taken out so she thought literally her jaw dropped off and she's like and then i realized it was that she had gotten into the cat poop and apparently like walked out with it 
into the garage, out to the car, and it was put in the car, and then still had it in her mouth and dropped the cat poop that was covered in litter on my wife's like floor of her car, which is also really funny because of the fact that like literally you cannot eat or drink in my wife's car, and then here she brings in cat poop. So she then said she quickly realized that there's no way her jaw could have dropped off and felt really stupid after that. But I thought it was really funny that she thought her whole jaw just just fell off, just fell off. All right, guys. If you have any questions about kennel cough or if you have anything else you want me to talk about, like I said, always let me know, email me, text me, find me in the hallways, whatever it is, leave me a sticky note and I'm happy to go over those things with you. And um, like I said, if you have any questions about this, I'm happy to go over those as well. I hope you guys have a great week.